This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Great to have all you guys with us. I want to give just a real quick plug before I start in on the message this morning. We are starting a school here, a new school next fall, fall of 2015, called Transition One. And for those of you uh, parents who are here with junior high and senior high kids, uh, just a special note to you. This is a school, it's called a, a gap year school or a one year school where we're challenging graduating senior high school kids to take one year out of their life before they go to college and dedicate it to Christ. Given that time so that they can learn about leadership, learn about the Bible, learn about missions and reaching out to their generation, challenged for them to be here with us six months in classroom time and community service, and then at the end of the six months, we're going to ship them off to a missions destination overseas for three months to complete their schooling. It is really going to be an awesome thing, and we have information brochures and an information meeting coming up for all parents and students at our youth group meeting October 1st, Wednesday night, 645. So if you can make it to there, pick up the information, pick up the card. We'd love you to come. My son and I are going to be there that night. We're directing the school. We're going to give you all the information you need about it to begin preparing so that your student can take, play, uh, take part in this dynamic year of training. Awesome. This morning, we are going to continue, possibly conclude, our series in the Losers of the Bible. And this morning, I thought we'd talk about Joseph or Barnabas, as he is known in the New Testament. Let's read in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so Pastor Mark and Pastor Bob have done a great job over the last couple of months, taking us through a very interesting teaching series called Losers of the Bible. We've heard about Moses, David, Samson, Joseph, and Jonah, all of these guys, very weak men, uniquely gifted by God to do amazing things in their generation so that the name of God could be glorified. The Bible does not try to hide their faults. Moses was hot-headed. He was given to self-doubt. Joseph possessed incredible leadership qualities, but he needed a little time in an Egyptian prison to temper his zeal and his arrogance. David was a powerful warrior king, but he gave in to sexual temptation, which led to murder. Samson was a mess his whole life, and Jonah was prejudiced and self-willed. That's just the Old Testament. But wait, there's more in the New Testament. Jesus' disciples, they all had their own issues. Peter was hot-headed. 
James and John were known in Capernaum as the sons of thunder. So you can only imagine what those guys must have been like, their local reputation. Thomas and Philip were both doubters. And Judas Iscariot ended up betraying Jesus into the hands of his enemies. You know, a quick study in the book of Acts reveals that Saul, who became Paul, was one of the most feared men in Israel and was responsible for the death and imprisonment of many, many Christians. And then later, this same man who did all of that ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. When we say that the Bible contains the history of some of the world's great losers, we are not stretching the truth. These were men and women who desperately needed God's mercy and grace despite their many gifts and spectacular callings. One thing that is not so widely understood, however, is that many of these characters needed a champion. God would send a person to come alongside them during these dark moments to bring encouragement and counsel to them, or sometimes rebuke and correction. Moses had his father-in-law, Jethro. David had Jonathan, Joab, and Nathan the prophet. And Paul, Paul's champion, was my favorite character in the Bible, Barnabas. So we opened with this short verse in Acts chapter 4 introducing us to Barnabas. Now fast forward into Acts chapter 9 and the story of Saul's conversion. You know, it had been a rough time for the church. Just when it seemed things were starting to settle and elders and deacons had been established and there were Bible studies happening all over Jerusalem and Rick Warren came out with his new book, you know, and it just hit the stands and more and more people were being added to the church. And then Stephen, Stephen, one of the first church deacons, is arrested for preaching. And he's brought before the temple elders and priests in Jerusalem. And he's, he, he's just, you'd think he'd be humble and quiet. And instead, <laughs> he just opens up on these guys and delivers this blistering, astonishing sermon right in their face. You stiff-necked people, he says. Your hearts, your ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. I mean, that was it. He crossed the line, man. The devil pulled the trigger on Stephen, and they took the guy out of the city and stoned him to death. The church fell under intense persecution at that moment. And from, that on, and from then on, church members were scattered to the four winds. They were everywhere, literally running for their lives, just like our brothers and sisters have been doing over the last two months in Mosul, Iraq. We discover that one of the out-of-control Jewish elders who witnessed Stephen's death was a young man, Saul of Tarsus. He made it his mission from that moment to hunt down and imprison or kill any Christian he could find, and he was very good at it. The postscript to Stephen's death is recorded in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, 
Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. I mean, the guy was like a shark in the water smelling blood. He was a fine-tuned predator. Remember when Jesus told Peter that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church? These were the floodgates of hell. Saul was the gatekeeper. And then, right in the middle of one of his murderous rampages, Saul of Tarsus, on his way to Damascus to arrest and imprison more believers, is stopped in his tracks. Jesus Christ himself appears to Saul. He blinds him. He speaks to him. He humbles him. Saul had to be led by his hand into Damascus where he was very, very reluctantly received by this handful of cringing believers in this little house hiding from the very man who had just walked through their door. He was prayed for and healed and he began running around Damascus telling anybody who'd listen about the Jesus who had just saved him. Wow. But there was this big problem. Who was going to believe him? And do you blame these people for doubting? I don't. Saul had the blood of these people on his hands. He was powerful, influential, well-respected in the Jewish community. Why would anybody want to trust this man? And look what happens next. We continue in Acts chapter 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, that would be you, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, answered Ananias, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name? The Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So off goes Ananias. He prays for Saul. Saul's healed. And immediately Saul hits the streets and the synagogues and he's proclaiming what just happened to him. Now check it out. All those who heard Saul were astonished and asked, hold on. <laughs> isn't this, isn't this the guy who is just raising havoc in Jerusalem? Among all those who call on his name, hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? I mean, it was obvious. Nobody trusted Saul. Not even his fellow Jews trusted him. I mean, it had to be some kind of a, a trick or conspiracy, wasn't it? You know, Saul trying to draw all these believers out so it'd make it easier to arrest them. It continues. Saul grew more and more powerful. And he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, nobody really trusted Saul. He was a threat to the Jews. He was a threat to the Christians. He was a man without a country. Nobody was going to believe him. It goes on, verse 23, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned about their plan day and night 
They kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Okay, so here he is. Opening the wall, being led outside of town through the wall. His feet hit the ground outside of Damascus. And then what enters into the brain of Saul? He gets this wild idea to go to Jerusalem. I know, I'll go to Jerusalem. They'll like me there. (laughs) Oh yeah, they will. Oh, I want to go see the heavy hitters. I want to go see Peter. I want to go see James and John. Oh, surely they'll like me there. Sure, Saul. He really had a hard time understanding how anybody could possibly hate him. We call that a lack of (laughs) self-awareness. Saul had that. And look what happened next. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. No kidding! I would have been one of those guys. So he didn't have any friends. His fellow Jews are conspiring to murder him. The Christians are running for cover every time he shows up. Then we get to verse 27. But Barnabas. Okay. So Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Read what happens next. When he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they're afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Paul, uh, Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Wow. Nobody else was going to touch Saul with a 10-foot pole, but Barnabas. There's a Steely Dan song that goes, they got a name for the winners in the world. I want a name when I lose. We've been talking about losers for six weeks here. The ones we thought were great, powerful men, but turned out to be just like you and me. Weak, prone to failure, cowardice, full of fear. We also know that they weren't really losers. They were just weak people. Weak. And then God comes to them and he strengthens them when they needed strength. And he, he forgave them when they needed mercy. He encouraged them when they'd lost all hope. God came. Then, then they were able to move ahead and move on up. Because God transforms losers into winners. Well, the world always notices the winner. They get a name They get the fame. Most of the time, the world ignores and turns away from the loser. You probably know what that's like. I'm not calling you losers, but each one of us knows what it's like to lose at something, huh? And have people turn their back. You probably experienced that before. Every week, in every corner of our country, you can find a conference or a seminar or a book or a website somewhere where they're going to tell you how to become a winner in life, in business, in church, in marriage. They're going to broadcast testimonies to you from people who have been to those conferences and they've been helped. The winners, they get a name. They do not, however, interview the people who leave that conference feeling worse than when they came. 
And believe me, there are some of those too. Maybe you've been to a conference and you've left that conference feeling worse than when you came. I have. It's because we confuse success with significance. That's why I love Barnabas. He attached himself to a loser. Paul, he stood up for the guy. And both Barnabas and Paul became eternally significant. I want a name when I lose. Bob Dylan wrote a ballad for the loser. When the rain is blowing in your face and the whole world is on your case, I could offer you a warm embrace to make you feel my love. I want to tell you, if you're feeling like a loser today, please know this. God wants to sing that song to you. He wants to offer you that warm embrace. You don't need to feel like a loser. And this was just the start of Barnabas' ministry of encouragement. Look, look what happens next in Acts 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, remember Barnabas was from Cyprus, went to Antioch, another Gentile city, and began to speak to the Greeks also, naughty, naughty, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So we know that Barnabas became Saul's champion, which is significant given that nobody else trusted Saul's intentions. Barnabas lived in Jerusalem at that time, and word came down through from Antioch way to the north of Jerusalem. Gentiles, Gentiles of all people, are listening to the message of the gospel from the Jewish disciples and putting their faith in Christ. Oh, this was radical. All of the church members that had spread out from Jerusalem to this point were all Jews. They were all Jews. As far as we know, they had no desire to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Remember what Pastor Bob said last week about Jonah and God calling Jonah to Nineveh to preach to the Assyrians? Jo Jonah didn't want to do that. He was Jewish. The Gentile Assyrians, pagans? Are you kidding? I'm not going there. This was the same thing here. Gentiles hearing the message of Jesus, what? And they're believing and being brought to the Lord? How can that possibly be? The Jewish church elders in Jerusalem needed a powwow, and they had one, and they elected to send Barnabas to check out this new phenomenon. And so four things happened when Barnabas arrived in Antioch. First, he saw that the grace of God was doing this and that it was not some weird movement. Second, he became glad. 
And, he, and, and who would not become glad after seeing all these people come out of their darkness? Third, he encouraged them to hang in there with their new faith. And fourth, realizing that he needed help in order to get this church started, who does he send for? Saul, the Jew of all Jews, the man who no one trusted, the loser of all losers, Barnabas sends for Saul. Dude, I need some help over here getting this church going. Come on. Do you know that Saul, who became Paul, is known today as the apostle to the Gentiles? He was the first apostle in recorded history to make the gospel available to non-Jews. And he suffered a lot of persecution because of that. But guess who roped him into getting started? Barnabas. We can actually attribute the spread of the gospel to the non-Jewish world to Barnabas. He was there before Paul. He saw value and power and potential in a people who were despised by the Jews. He was the real pioneer. He was the wall breaker. He could see value in people with no value. He saw that in Paul, and now he saw it in the Gentiles of Antioch. Maybe you've had a champion like this in your life. Maybe it was one of your parents or a friend or a sibling. Maybe it was a coworker or a teacher, a pastor, a church member. God sends champions to each one of us. If you've never had a cheerleader in your corner, if you don't know what it's like to have someone believe in you no matter what, if you feel like a loser, like no one sees that you're valuable for something, guess what? You are in a good place because we want to be your champions at Celebration Church. I've had several champions in my life, people who stood by me when life was darkest and I felt the most worthless. Gail has been my number one champion my biggest cheerleader, and believe me, when you are in the ministry, you need a champion. Pastor Mark has also been a champion for me. He has been my Barnabas. Twice over the last 35 years, I have been at the point of giving up on the ministry. Twice I have been let down and betrayed to the point of quitting. Both times, Mark was there, offering me a position, offering me hope, Stepping in for Gail and me when no one else was there with encouragement and a belief in us that our lives, too, could become significant. I cannot tell you the difference that makes in a person's life. Which begs the question, are you a Barnabas? Is there someone you know that nobody else notices? Someone who seems to live in the shadows and who may have lost faith in themselves or in God? Could you be their champion? The world has an endless supply of losers. Unfortunately, champions come at kind of a premium. Four months before we became Christians, the members of the rock band that I was in could have easily been placed in that loser category. Our drummer was in a straitjacket, locked up 
in the mental war, the hospital from an LSD breakdown. I'd quit music. I'd forget this. I went selling soap door to door. That was great. Man, we'd all given up. Loser. <laughs> but four months later, somehow or another, the band decided, let's give her one more shot. Let's get back together. So all the guys in our band got back together. And we found ourselves, of all places, in the living room of a little German lady who lived in the west side of Indianapolis, Indiana. And we heard about Jesus for the first time. And that night, a group of blue-collar people who could not have been more different than we were took us under their collective wing, prayed for us, loved us, and welcomed us into the family of God. They became our Barnabas when nobody else was interested. Forty-four years later, all of the guys in our band are still serving Jesus Christ. We still have our sanity. We still have our sanity, which is saying a lot, and we have been able to help others know Jesus Christ. When we talk about the losers of the Bible, we're talking about people who were losers in a big way. These guys did not understand the meaning of the word semi. They, they, were, they were in it to lose it. Full speed ahead toward annihilation. Then God placed champions in their path and the champions made these supersized losers stop and think through their options. You know, David, there's probably a better way here. You know, Moses, there's a better way. God's called you. I'm going to be there for you, man. A champion is the hand of God extended and I can assure you that the church and the kingdom of God do not go forward without champions, guys. They are more important than almost anything else because they see value in human beings that cannot see value in themselves. Mother Teresa said this of her work among the poor in India, we know only too well that what we are doing is nothing more than a drop in the ocean. But if the drop were not there, the ocean would be missing something. That's true. That tells us champions are important. We need them. Finish up with this from John Piper. His take on Barnabas, he calls Barnabas a leader maker. First, you have to be a risk taker. Barnabas seriously did not know how things would turn out with Saul, but he felt called by God and he took the risk. Second, you have to have a good eye and a glad heart for the potential of grace. Leader makers have their heat sensors adjusted and alert for embers of grace so they can fan them into flame. You know what was said of Jesus? I bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Barnabas sees that God is at work in a hundred ways to influence sinners, said Piper. He has an eagle eye and a glad heart for these signs of grace. Third, you have to be humble. The beautiful gift of fading into the background while pushing others into prominence. The book of Acts starts out, by the way, by listing Barnabas' name first in front of Paul. But eventually, it transitions to placing Paul's name 
in front of Barnabas in that partnership. And Piper writes this, So behind the emergence of the greatest missionary and the greatest theologian in the world is the aging Barnabas, humbly giving way to the explosive young leader named Paul. These two roles have their different costs. Barnabas pays the price of self-effacement and eventual obscurity. And finally, you have to be patient with the foibles of other people. You just have to be patient. John, uh, uh, Paul, and and, and, uh, Barnabas eventually had this heated, heated argument. Barnabas wanted to take young John Mark on a second missionary journey. Paul refused. He's not going with us. He failed on the first one. He got cold feet, went home halfway through the first missionary journey. Barnabas says, no, we need to take him on the second time. Paul says, no dice. He's not going. Barnabas says, if he's not going, I'm not going. And he stayed home. And you know what happened? We never see Barnabas again. He stayed home with John Mark, but we never see Barnabas again until you hear this. It's tucked away in a small little corner in the second letter of Paul to Timothy. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is helpful to me in my ministry. John Mark, the deserter, the coward, the loser, laid off by Paul, but championed by Barnabas. What happens? He rejoins Paul toward the end of Paul's life, and now he's useful for ministry. Chalk that one up as a win for Barnabas. And it was Mark who goes on to write the gospel of Mark, which was the first gospel, the other three gospels being modeled off of John Mark's gospel. I'm telling you what, We've seen some amazing losers in the Bible, and we've run out of time this morning, but as we close in prayer, please give some thought to Barnabas, the son of encouragement. I mean, don't you want to be like that guy? I know I do. I fail at it, but I want to be like him. Maybe you need a champion. Maybe you're here today, and some, you just need somebody to believe in you. Allow me to point you toward fellowship in this church. Join a life group. Get involved. Meet people. God's going to lead you to people who really do care about you and who want to be your friend. They believe in you. God has a Barnabas around here just for you. Or maybe you need to be a Barnabas. Well, then that starts at home. Start being a Barnabas, guys, to your wife, your kids. Lord knows they need all the confidence they can get. Mom and dad's the best source. We start at home, and it spreads out from there. You can start at work. You can start in your neighborhood, in your church. Turn your radar on. Everybody needs a champion. Find out who that is. You can be a Barnabas. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day and for all the goodness that you give to us. Lord, that you do send us, Barnabas, the encouragement when we need it. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, first of all, to receive your love. Maybe there's a Barnabas around us who has been trying to offer your love to us, and I pray that you'd help us to open our hearts for that. And then finally, Lord, that you would make each one of us like that man, sons of encouragement, daughters of encouragement, people who will see the good, people who will believe in people, Lord, and put our arms around those who really need help and are feeling like losers. Help us to, to love the losers. We pray in Jesus' name.